BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning into the Schmozone podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Fusion CBD Products. I'm in Abu Dhabi. My sleep schedule is so out of whack. I use the sleep and recovery to help me go to sleep. How did I survive a 15-hour plane flight to get here in the first place? Their CBD products are magical. I use them a lot. I really am using that sleep and recovery to survive this third stint here at Fight Island. Use the promo code SHMO to get 20% off. Go to FusionCBDProducts.com. Check it out. Let's start the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmo Zone Podcast, episode 37. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. the Schmo. My co-host is... Helene Sports. I love it. And today's <laughs> guest, we're international. We're in Fight Island. There is no better person to have than the one and only international presenter, the play-by-play man for the UFC, John Gooden. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. I Not everyone can see this, but my shoe game is nowhere near the shoe game that we see here. This is special. You These should are see, bejeweled. Yeah, you should see the closet in the hotel. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he like brings them all in its own luggage, basically. Well, it's fun. I'm, I actually would not be doing this normally for the podcast, but I came dressed as the Schmoen character. We were doing interviews. It's media day here. So we had the podcast afterwards. I took off the turtleneck and uh, had to leave the shoes on. Didn't yeah. want to bring too I thought they were for me, but, you know, we'll go with whatever. <laughs> you also changed your watch. Because I did. Brian Ortega try to take it off yeah, during the interview. He did. I, I was wearing the Rolex. He tried to take it off. But hey, it's not about me. It's about this man over <laughs> here. He's the one who rocks the bow ties during oh, the broadcast. Yeah. I love that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. You don't see that as much, especially in the United States. You don't see people wearing bow ties. They're either wearing no tie or ties, but not bow ties. Yeah. There's a little story to it. So I think the perception of, uh, it's kind of boring, I'm sorry. The, kind of, the perception of mixed martial arts in the UK is pretty different, uh, especially like 10 years ago, to what it is in, in North America and other parts. And the sport was represented in such a way, kind of like tap out t-shirts, maybe a blazer or a jacket, running shoes, bad jeans with rips in them. And, and I just think if you want to be taken seriously and side by side other big sports, then you need to look like they do or go one better. And also, so one of the ideas I got from it, I was involved in amateur boxing. So when I would fight, you would do so at like a black tie do. So everyone was in a dinner jacket. That's, and that felt a bit extreme. So then I just kind of jazzed it up with whatever kind of suit, maybe just a jacket and chinos. And yeah, we have a, a little bow tie action going on. And it's not like something that I've necessarily 
been adamant about wearing, but I, I do now feel there's something special. Like if I'm on the desk, it's a tie. If it's a fight night and I'm in that representing the UFC, mixed martial arts and these athletes, I'll proudly wear that bow tie and make sure I'm looking smart. Well, is there a specific influence that you know, you've know you seen or maybe specific person that you're like, you know what, not only can I rock the bow tie, but <laughs> he, he's not bad at rocking it too? Honestly, honestly, it was a lot about uh, my wife had an influence on it mm-hmm. and then me saying, mm, I think that's a bit, I'm not too sure. But then the boxing thing. Honestly, the boxing thing and the legitimacy of that and everyone wearing a bow tie, it was like, okay, yeah, this, yeah, I, I can I can wear that. So no, it wasn't an individual. I'm a, that makes me a trailblazer, right? You are. There you go. 100%. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it's coincidence, but I brought the Schmo tie, my bow tie with the Schmo logos, and we got to get a photo together oh, yeah, on Fight yeah, Night. I got to yeah, wear yeah, it just yeah, because yeah. of that. Nice. It brought it up. But uh, I guess I want to start off with this because this is an important day for both of us, all three of us. Um, it is the media day, but also for you, it's the uh, fighter interviews, the pre-fight interviews. We get to see a side of these fighters, the intimate side of them, and a lot of uh, importance to us for the theme of our podcast is giving fans the behind-the-scenes look yeah. of, of the hustle and everything like that. And we get to see a really intimate side of these fighters that people don't get to see. This is a very vulnerable time, especially here during a global pandemic. We're on Fight Islands, a unique time. Do you have any uh, takeaways or like things that, that really stand out to you from today? Yeah, a whole bunch, really. I mean, uh, I've just finished uh, sitting down with Brian Ortega, and he's here with a new crew. And uh, I, they just left. They were having a lot of fun in that room. And Brian was on in a, in a playful form, which which is great. Uh, it's not someone that I've... This is his first international event, so I haven't been in contact with him before. We've done a couple of things earlier this week, but I didn't have that rapport and all of a sudden, I'm now in a room with him, and we're trying to, you know, do a good interview. These are pre-production things, which everyone's going to see just before he walks out. So he was being playful. I think he was testing me a couple of times, and and that was interesting. But what I took away was, one, he's relaxed, but two, his new team. These are these are guys he's never travelled with before, and genuinely, they're all getting on. And I actually left the room, and ran after him and said, Brian, Brian, Brian you said something in, in the interview and he, what he said was like, this is like a first date feel, you know, this is a first date with a girlfriend because they're all going out like for the first time. So I was like, okay, bad habits. Who's got the bad habits? Who's doing something? Maybe there's something I can bring into commentary. I've got to be a bit careful, but it just turned out. He said, no, I'm the bad habit. I, I'm, I'm the one wearing the Lakers t-shirt every day. And he said, listen, we're, we're genuinely finding out about one another and, Looks like they've got a tight team, and I think that's going to carry through into the fight as well, which is that was pretty cool. And what's also interesting is um, the one that he kept and didn't, you know, fire or replace Henry Gracie. Yeah, he wasn't able to make yeah. it. So it is like a literally totally new. brand new team here. Yeah, and this is the biggest fight of his career. Yeah, you know? and on the other side, you've I see the the relationship between Zombie and Eddie Char of Fight Ready, that's something that's I guess relatively new last couple of years and you can see how well they gel you know, Eddie went over to Korea and has been living with him through all of this, yeah, challenging times and both of these guys have that interesting narrative where two two years ago Eddie was planting the seeds that we're now seeing come out in the Zombies game but now the new team of, of Brian Ortega, they've planted those seeds are they going to see the, those that same evolution? So, 
it's been an interesting kind of investigation. And Brian Ortega coming off his first professional loss in the UFC, 14-1. and It was a title shot, and what he had, took nearly, what, almost 300 significant strikes? I mean, the psyche of taking this much time off and then going into this fight where essentially if he wins, you have a clear case of getting that title shot again. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are so high, and it's just such a unique situation that you really don't see much in the UFC. Mm. Yeah, and also just that that reaction to have a complete clear out. Like th- th- That was a title fight. It's not you on the way up, you just reached the UFC, and you think, ah, I think I need a fresh look because it's a different level. It's like, no, dude. You've been smoking people, putting together highlights, showing great heart, like everything that you would want to see from your fighter is there, and, and yet he clearly felt like it, it wasn't where it needed to be and he's made wholesale changes. And, and that's rare. That's unique to come back in such a big fight as well. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you if you've ever, you know, seen many fighters at all who, you know, come back their next fight, brand new team, and then how well they do in that fight. A couple come to mind. I mean, without... I've got a terrible memory. But the one that does come to mind is Jan Bojovic. So he joined the UFC and he made changes. And I remember seeing those changes as well. And Remember, he, he had that great knockout over Elia Latifi. But when he got to the dance, UFC being the big dance, he felt like he needed to change stuff. And he started losing fights. And he, then he went back to his old coach, who literally created the monster that we see before us, and he went on this crazy win streak and that the only time they picked up a loss was against Maheta. And then he's, you know, he's on vacation with his coach. It's like they've never had this problem. They are like this. And now he's the champ. I mean, it's that obviously goes against what Brian's trying to do, by the way. That'll mean he goes back to his team. But I'm just giving you an example of someone that changed it up, didn't work, but massive change. And I'm very pleased for him that it's in the long term worked out. While, while your memory's fresh, are there any fights that uh, you're like, okay, this could be for this fight card, fight of the night, or after having the interviews with these two individuals or a certain individual, it's like, okay, we're going to see some fireworks, can't miss, some uh, 50K bonuses could be handed out? Well, I mean, I've always liked the, the lighter weight classes, and we, we've got Mark Striegel coming in against Said Namagomedov. I think that's a, a really interesting fight. Said Namagomedov is like Zabit. You know, he's a smaller version of him, despite that surname. I'm not saying that he does or the family name. I'm not saying he can't fight like uh, Habib does, but he sets up a different way. And then, weirdly, you have the guy that's coming over from the Philippines who's got like a combat sambo background. It's like, did I read that right? So I think that's going to be good fun. The two guys that came through today that impressed me physically um, were Gamrots and Kuta Teladze. Like, they are both shredded like every single fiber on their arms and their torso, they are ready. And Gamrot was like roaring at the camera in there. We're just doing a little few shadow boxing sequences. This guy is ready for war. And and I've, I've known Goram Kutateladze for a while now. He was someone that was brought to my attention when I went to see Lena Landsberg before she fought Chris Cyborg. The kid's got unique skills, you know striking wise and he's been on the mats with Hamzat so yeah I was going to bring that up yeah I mean that's that's who wants to be on the mat with Hamzat I've seen a lot of people not want to be on the mat with Hamzat I heard he's uh, looking for a fight he's always looking for a fight that dude I said to him earlier because there was some I said there's a heavyweight 
you know, the heavyweight fight fell out. I said, Hamza, what about that heavyweight fight? Would you get, come on, brother. No problem. I fight now. Oh, yeah. We, we, we uh, spoke to him earlier today. Our guest, the Schmo, did and Helen did. And he's talking about calling out Brock Lesnar to the boss man. <laughs> he he's really like, Dana, is. I want to fight Brock Lesnar. Any weight class doesn't matter. And he's serious. It's insane. But I can't tell you who it was, but there, there was a very senior, seasoned MMA professional that went down to Sweden. And I was there filming with Gustafsson. And I, I've seen Hams out on the map for the last couple of years. I knew he was special. I knew he'd get here. He was playing with this UFC vet, like touching him up, moving, smiling. And this guy said, hey, bro, stop. Like, what are you doing? It was, he felt like it was almost disrespectful. And Hamzat's like, I don't care. And he just, they resumed and he went back to just doing anything he wanted. And at that point, I knew when he was facing someone like that, I'm like, that guy's legit. And what you just did to him was blew me away and his attitude as well. He doesn't care. It's just a walk in the park for him. That carelessness, I mean, that could go one or two ways, right? I mean, yeah. that could be he could just take this all the way to the top and he could just run train through some of the biggest names in this sport or he could just get shocked. And uh, the confidence, it could never be the same. Who knows? Yeah, and I think you're not... I don't think he's taken many massive hits. You know, no, if he gets no. to the top really quick, his chin's going to stay intact. So, this run may well pay dividends. You know, the long road does is toiled sometimes. So, we'll, we'll see how that works out for him. But in your opinion, who do you think makes sense for him next? Uh, I don't want to put someone under the bus like that. Look, I, I honestly or, don't. I know. mean, you could say like. Top ten. Yeah, I, I, th- I honestly fight. think that a top ten fight. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put it to I'll, I'll explain it to you even more. Do you th- would you like to see him at middleweight or welterweight first? I mean, do you want to see him contend for it? I don't want to say title right away, but do you want to see him fight top contenders in the one seventy weight class or the one eighty five weight class first? Hmm. I don't know. The thing is, I quite like seeing him a lot. And yeah. this is a kid that still lives in the gym. Yeah, He lives in the gym. So he needs to earn that money. And he's certainly doing so. So if, he stay, if he's fighting at 185 pounds, then we're going to see more of him. And I, and I hope I'm not out, speaking out of turn here. That, the fight he had at welterweight here on Fight on, he had a terrible wake up for that. He did not go in there feeling like he, he wanted to feel. And look what he did. You know, so... This guy can turn up on his on not his best day and, and do damage in either of those weight classes. I just think whatever makes sense, you know. And there's a there's a route there both ways. But if he sticks around at uh, at welterweight, then there's some pretty interesting matchups. If you see like Habib, like if he wants to move up and have a super fight, I mean that would be interesting oh, as well, right? A hundred percent. Uh, man, there's so many great places to take this conversation, yeah. but you said something like a couple minutes ago about Gustafsson, Alexander Gustafsson. You spent some time with him. Uh, we saw him put his gloves down a couple of fights ago mm-hmm. when he lost uh, in front of his home crowd against Anthony Lionheart Smith, and then he returned. Um, I'm just curious on your thoughts. You know, obviously things haven't gone his way as mm-hmm. of late and recently. Where do you think his psyche's at, his head's at? Do you think. You know, we've seen the um, the best of him, all of him, or he has a lot more, a little bit more left to give to the sport. I think he's got more to give, and I think it's a frustration for uh, for a lot of people because I I haven't seen anyone as technical as Gus in the gym. You know, at that weight class, I honestly believe that he is um, he's or was the biggest threat to John Jones. Like when he fought in that second time. 
I honestly thought that this this could be his fight. In the gym, he is unbelievable. I've seen guys from all over Europe um, come into that gym and tr and train with him. He's phenomenal everywhere. Like I've seen him teach other UFC fighters how to wrestle, how to do that. Like everyone listens to Gustafsson, but it's just it's just those those in that moment you know a lot of stuff needs to come together for these individuals to put on their very best performance on fight night and you just need two of those bad days and those days to land on that calendar when you're fighting Anthony Smith and Verdum to make it look like things aren't going well for you but actually they're just those days where it didn't click and that's what's so unforgiving about this sport so I'm certainly not writing it writing him off I'd like to see him go again at heavyweight because he's a big man. He did not look like he was yeah. undersized in any way, shape, or form. So he's still got a future for sure. I mean, he looks great. I mean, it was just the the jujitsu against you're going up against a legend like Verdum, and that pause for when he was when he turned his back to move away after uh, Verdum was going for that takedown. He just needed to be a little bit more urgent. Yeah, if he gets his legs clear and they stand up again. We'll see what happens. But at the same time, you know, as much as I, I'm quite close to the, the All-Stars team and, and I want to see them succeed, like, I'm a big fan of MMA. And Verdum, it was, it's what is next. Now it's resigned to be the last time we saw him in the octagon. So what a way to go out. Well, speaking of heavyweight and Gustafsson, what about John Jones and his inevitable move? Yeah, well, Wherever that guy goes, he brings a unique set of skills. He brings a, a very unique aura and a voodoo about him that a lot of people can't get past. The sport's not the same without an active John Jones. That's just how it is. So whatever John decides to do, you know, as a fan, I'm intrigued. I'm signing up. And I, and I think that he does damage. Whatever. He's just so skilled. Are you also kind of reading his tweets, like he and Izzy going back and forth? Yeah. <laughs> it's intense. Uh, yeah, it is intense. And, you know, uh, we're all part of this, the, the storytelling aspect of this game, right? And they just give us so much. They give us so much to tell. So that is that is interesting to see how they do it. And, and Izzy's like just, I'm not down with the kids, so I don't always get what Izzy's talking about. I've not read the same material that he has, so I'm learning all the time with that. I'm probably more of John's era. But, oh boy, I wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with either one of these guys, like, verbally. I mean, if you're Dana White, you can't wait for Las Vegas to open up soon enough because I can't think of a better fight to headline Raider Stadium than a John Jones versus Israel Adesanya. Summer oh, yeah. 2021. That's, yeah. that, that would be a huge fight. Yeah, and I get it. Listen, they've got... Izzy's got responsibilities of his weight class, but you know how scheduling works out. And these things, if, the, if anyone can do it, the UFC can do it. They can turn things around pretty quick and make stuff happen. And they have done. Like, look where we are. So you never know what we're going to see. You know, and, whatever, and what weight class that might be at. But um, one thing's for sure, if that happens, it's going to blow the roof off. Yes, it will. Uh, actually, I think it's a retractable roof. So, uh, so maybe a one that just needs oh, to open up a little true. bit. Yeah, in Las Vegas. It's, it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, if you've got to come to Las Vegas and they open to. it up, you got to see that. Uh, you're forever a part of history. Last week with Am Joaquin I? Buckley. Yeah. Yes, you are. Did you are. see Kanye West? He even like, uh, used that clip. 
And that he made that his new music video. Oh, he's really of has the he done knockout. That? Yeah. Nice. Oh, I mean, good luck to Buckley, man. But it's amazing. I mean, we're sitting on. I mean, normally our podcast is every Tuesday. We can't even. We can't even keep keep track of the dates. We're what three, four days away from that. We were in quarantine watching that fight because we came back from the states. But you're forever part of history. Now that you're sitting on that moment, three, four days later, it's already shattered social records. Yeah. Across UFC, I mean, it's bringing in this sport's already the fastest growing sport in the world. It's bringing in. All sorts of new fans. Like, is that one of those moments that you're just going to reflect on, like, you know, five months, five years, 15 years down the line? Like, holy crap, I was a part of this, and this was special, and you can't fully grasp just how special that moment is right now, just three, four days. Yeah, I, I think Fight Island, generally. If I'm honest, yeah, you know, I hate true. to, like, kill the yeah. fight type. For, for what this means to me personally and, and my ability to pay the bills and stay relevant, like, this is massive. And we were, I think we were all in the same room together the other day when I was asked a similar question. But, you know, Connor, being, growing up around Connor's yeah. ascendance yeah. Was, was so big. And, and now we can look back on it. It was, it was right for it to feel big. Because sometimes on the local scene, you get caught up with certain guys and they doesn't always come to fruition. And he's like the biggest star. But I think what's really special about that is Buckley is new. And he's just shown us something so superhuman and the fact that I got to, you know, layer that maybe a little bit with the guys, just a natural organic reaction is cool. I think I said some stupid stuff as well, if I'm honest. But, you know, what can you do? You're in that moment. I, I couldn't help to think, but we were cage side for Buckley's last fight. It was against Kevin Holland. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he gave Kevin Holland a good run for his money. See, these, well, we talk about this too on our podcast, these lengthy strikers, the Sean yeah. O'Malley's, the Israel Adesanya, yeah. John Jones. the John Joneses of the world. You know, they don't have the hugest physiques with the muscles popping mm. everywhere, but their length skinny and their power. strength, the squinty mm. power. <laughs> you probably had that from your boxer yeah. days, of course. But, but, uh, but Buckley was able to do some stuff, and you know how... Uh, Holland's always trash talking. Yes, the trash talking. I remember him saying to Buckley, "Oh, Buckley, good shot, Buckley. Yeah. You're gonna oh, be yeah. good, kid. You're Kevin gonna be good. You're gonna be great." That. You know. So he was. He. It's like he could recognize the greatness that he yeah. was seeing unfold. And lo and behold, the next fight here we see the greatest knockout in uh, UFC history, MMA history. It's just to to actually pull that out the bag. Like I'm not saying that not. There are certain athletes that come from certain backgrounds that will be able to do that technique. But to do that technique in that moment on Fight Island with everything at stake after not having won your debut, when you factor all of that, that's what some people miss sometimes because it's a risk. You can look stupid. It, you only have certain, a certain amount of things you can do at any one time. Uh, Chris Weidman try to spin it back fist against Luke Rockhold. It's going to haunt him forever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is the highest stakes. This is no playground. And to do that and for it to come off and for him to have the confidence to do that and the execution, well, just beautiful. But being in part of that moment and that time, and like you mentioned, even Connor's rise, do you ever think to yourself during those times, like, okay, this is going to be that next superstar. This is going to shatter, you know, record-breaking numbers. Oh, you, I knew I, I knew it was a moment. Yeah. I, oh, 100% <laughs> I knew, yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah, I knew it was a moment. And then you start, you, you can't get too caught up in it, though, because there's a broadcast going on, and 
you've got to be present. Like, this is the biggest thing. It's a long broadcast. You've got to stay focused. Like, I, I try to just, like, my phone is on airplane mode. I'm listening to my producer and what's going on and nothing else matters, you know? You've got to be dialed in and you're like, this is a moment. Don't F it up, John. Don't say something, oh, damn, you said something stupid and you nearly swore. Did we get away with that one? Okay, let's move it on, but let's celebrate this moment for that guy because his family's watching this and there's also another part of you like Impa's family are watching this as well and that's just the most devastating blow to his career in that moment too so you have to have some empathy but you have to celebrate those wins and you know I knew something pretty special and And, and by the way someone started pushing like uh, um, a phone in front of me saying you've got to talk about this and that was the social numbers that were coming up during the show that like this is breaking records right now so that reinforced like oh boy yeah yeah we got people watching Yes, but unfortunately, with a guy like Impa, couldn't have happened to I a know, nicer such guy. A class act. Such a class act. But one thing that just came off the top of my head that I remember too is you're so good at timing these bathroom breaks, man. Because you're sitting there for <laughs> such a long time with these broadcasts, and then I remember seeing you because just even the last fight, you make oh, a yeah, dash to the bathroom yeah. to, to, to take a leak, and you got to go. How do you time that so well? What, what how much time do you have? Does the not producer not, tell you? Or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I have to check in with the producer. I'm like, okay, guys, it's that time. I have like the bladder of a mouse. Yeah, and I'm also one. I drink a lot. Because I don't have the pipes that we would have seen from Mike Goldberg, and John's got a great voice as well. And as a as a British broadcaster, just naturally we we don't present and broadcast like you guys in America. The energy's not always there. It's it's a little bit more refined. I I actually haven't done anything else, so this is all I know. But just growing up in school, I've just not, I've never been someone who's like that. So I have to. I'm like, oh, my voice is fading. I'm drinking like what's called throat coke tea and like all this water and and so what that means is I'm like I gotta go and it's really bad when we get to do those stand-ups to open the main card like if I'm like oh boy I'm gonna pee myself so I try and get out before the main card and sometimes I've drunk so much I could be like tidying up the bathroom I'm going for so long I'm like I gotta get back to the desk I've got to get back to the desk. It's, it's crazy. You're like a gazelle. I just watch you yeah. just That's my make training. it short. Yeah. People think I'm there researching. No, I'm doing the bleep test. During, you'll yeah. see me outside the hotel. I need to get that timing down so I get back to that desk. Well, you are a triathlete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a little spell of that. Uh, a few years ago, a friend chat sort of challenged. It was a journey we went on together. I did an Ironman. It was very cool. He's an Iron I'm a half Iron Man. I've done a half in Costa Rica. I'm trying to do a full. Yeah. There's not a lot, honestly, there's not a lot of difference. You'd get through it. What an do you Iron mean Man. a lot of difference? It's a double. <laughs> 70.3 times two. That's the difference. Yeah, but the amount of training that you need to put in just to do a half, I think that you'd, you'd, you'd get through it, bro. It's like, it's like a part-time job training oh for that God. stuff. It's, like it's 10, it, 15 hours a week. It's nuts. Minimum. Yeah, I mean, it, it was 2017 when I did mine in Costa Rica. I will do it again. I was yeah. always to do a, a half before 30 and a full before 40. Yeah. And Paul Felder is yeah, trying Paul to do Felder, a triathlon. Yeah. Did he ask you for yeah, advice? Yeah, well, we've been talking about it a fair bit. We didn't get to swim this time, but we, I was helping him out with, with his stroke and saying that there's like this certain technique that I use, which is called total immersion uh, swimming, which is an efficient tip. It's like a, it's a two-beat kick. So you don't paddle a lot. Oh, it what do you know about it. that? Because Helen's got the swimming background. Helen is training for the. I didn't. We didn't tell you this stuff. She's training for the 2024 Olympics. No, for the 53. Oh wow. Yeah. No way. Okay. 
And what's crazy is um, that's incredible. Someone did say one of the coaches said, "I have a two beat kick." Yes, <laughs> but I need to work on it for sprinting because you like, can't do we, the two beat no. kick for that. No, no, no. But no. when I get tired, I'm just like, oh crap. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I did the two beat kick thing, and that that's more efficient. And it, yeah, we're gonna end up dining out on something else. But I've got in the heart. I did a half Iron Man like in the lead up, and you can see me going side by side someone who just had the normal flutter kick, and you can just see I took like three fewer strokes in this little bit on camera. So you, you're just saving more energy because you yeah. need it when you're mm-hmm. going such Were you distance. open water swim or what? Yeah, what, yeah. yeah, cause, yeah. Uh, That's tough. It's, it's yeah. like a different sport, you oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's crazy. Things I'm, bump into you like, what was yeah. that? Being, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> oh, I'm Caught in the reeds? Like, yes. oh boy, what was that? Yeah, I was exposed to jellyfish in yeah. uh, Costa Rica. Stung, yeah, right? my entire neck, by the time we got to the bike, it was just covered. And, and then we had like downpours because it was the rainy season it was an amazing time for me but i can't wait to do it again it was, a, it was it was a great time you guys side note you guys need to check out this guy called ross he's a big ufc fan he swam around the whole of the uk oh he, my god! and gosh. he didn't come back on land the whole time oh my god! i think gosh. it was like nine months yeah he swam around and stayed out to see ross edgley he is um, wow. and by the way he's bigger than paulo costa oh man and he did this check him out and he he lost half of his tongue through the salt water and, a, and he found a jellyfish had wrapped around his face. Holy crap. And he had to swim through the hardest part of the swim, two hours long, with a jellyfish wrapped around his face, and he was in so much pain. Like, he's an absolute monster, but the nicest guy in the world at the same time. You need to check him out. Uh, wow. Yeah, we yeah. will definitely check yeah. it out. What was your biggest adjustment going from the Fox deal to the ESPN deal? Honestly, there, there wasn't an adjustment necessarily. I just got to do the traveling desk, because mm. the desk before was solely in L.A., and it's given me a massive opportunity for more reps and also to prove myself that I can host the show. I've, I obviously host a show with like Dan Hardy, we got Inside the Octagon, and I've done other bits and pieces, live presenting, but not network stuff like that. And, I, and we had the producers always say, well, would you, would you like to do that? Do you think you'd be any good? Why don't you come to LA? And it's, that's like a visa thing, and you've got plenty of good people over there without having to fly this English guy in. Uh, so... The traveling desk allows me to show that I've got more flexibility than just commentary play-by-play or like detailed analysis work with Dan. So it's like this is me handling a live broadcast and, and I think I've proved and I really enjoy that as well. Well, we talked about this a bit off camera, but take the audience into what a week is like for you, like a fight week and yeah. all that preparation. Yes, it's uh, pretty intense. Um, this is back-to-back shows for me so it doesn't get much more intense than that because you can't you've got to concentrate on one fight at a time so now that last fight's done which is why I haven't been able to go back and watch that whole Buckley knockout and some of the others like Sanhagen as well so straight in Monday as much as I would have liked some time off no time for that so I was studying on Monday Tuesday we had fighter meetings from like 1pm all the way through to the evening time did a little round table round robin thing with uh, the other talent with you guys in the media and then I went back to studying after that just getting ready all my scripts watching fights building the bios out watching all of the wonderful interviews that you guys do Wednesday today I do producing work so all of the pre-fight interviews that go into the live broadcast I'm the guy asking those questions and setting that thing up so that I was in there at what at one o'clock to midday one o'clock and I've just finished what was it like 10 o'clock so that's been a long day. And then 
on the last fight night, I woke up at three o'clock. I studied hard until midday, like breaks for lunch. And then I did the live broadcast. So these are long days, but I knew it was going to be like this. Did it once before on Fight Island. I'll sleep when I go home. And we talked to John Anik about uh, this part two. Um, when I say part two, uh, it could be two, it could be three. Uh, are any customs that you have to do uh, for a two-man team or a three-man broadcast team? Do you have to accustom to that a little bit differently for your preparation? Um, not necessarily. The only thing that I like to know is like who do who wants to speak first after me mm. because some of these guys have a little bit more than others like Chris Dorcas is from Philadelphia makes sense that I go to Paul first yeah. so let's just make sure I get the that person right so that they can get the really nice detail and go to town so that we tell that story well on behalf of the fighter that helps us understand who this individual is and then I'll lead it off otherwise I'm all, I will always leave stuff on the table like, I will never be naked in, in that broadcast booth. So if I work with one guy, if I do it by myself, with one or two, I'm always covered. But it's nice to be able to share it out and know who's got an expertise. So that's maybe something. Like the wrestling, I'm working with DC this weekend. Yep. For sure, I'm going to be able to use my knowledge of wrestling as a student of wrestling, very low level, uh, but be able to get more out of DC in that regard. Is there any... Uh, fighters that you haven't called their fights for that you really want to call their fights for anyone you anticipate John Jones that would be that would be awesome um, I haven't done Israel Adesanya like some of these big names are, are great and then I've got teammates back home like there's a guy called Sam Patterson didn't think I'd be throwing his name into this but he's a young guy on the up he got a big knockout over a UFC vet um, only a couple of weeks ago super young I think that we'll see him here in the UFC one day, and that would be like a really proud moment to be able to commentate on a teammate at, at this level. And what about having fans in attendance versus no fans? Does that change anything at all? Yeah, I, I think it does because my job can my job is not just about calling the fights; it's about helping the viewer understand like the atmosphere, like what is it, what does it taste like in here, what is the feeling like, what's going on to give it that big fight feel and also the crowd plays a part in commentary like why would I want to talk over this biggest biggest roar when their guy walks up the steps into the octagon let that breathe let them help complement the broadcast because they're part of the soundtrack you know mine's words but the soundtrack is the crowd we don't have that at the moment but what we do have is, is the the crack of every hit and the noise of the corners, and you can hear sometimes the urgency in those corners as well. So we have to pick up these environmental factors and and raise that up, but bring that to life a little bit more. Excellent. Well, John, uh, do you have any kind of final message that you want to tell the fans? I guess that's a schmo thing I always say, <laughs> but where can they follow you and what do you want to tell the audience? Um, these guys are doing a great job. Uh, and yeah, I've got like a couple of YouTube channels, John Gooden UK. I don't think people realize that I've got some stuff out there. I do um, something called the Breakfast Breakdown with my coach back home. So after a, a weekend of fights, we'll pick out the submissions. I'll go to him and say, hey coach, what did we see? How did it happen? And how could the other person have got out of it? So we do things like that. But yeah, much more coming. I, I'm always trying to put out new content to try and tell the story. So yeah, I'd appreciate people checking it out and let me know what you think. 
We appreciate you having on the Schmo Zone podcast. Helen, any final thoughts? Thank you so much for finding some time for us. Because like you mentioned, your schedule's super busy. So thank you. We're all in this. We've all got to make an effort, right? We've all been in this, you know, 100 yards together (laughs) for the past seven, eight hours, just grinding, creating content and telling stories. There you go. That's what it's all about. Love it. Us too. Episode 37 of the Schmo Zone podcast. We are out. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.